With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The old pitch. We're going to miss. Stop The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of It's Wednesday, August 30th, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you tonight by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, there's not much more that excites me than college football and especially Penn State football. And it's finally here. But before we get to that, let's send our thoughts to those in Texas as they fight a far different battle than talking about sports. Yeah, absolutely. A hurricane, 52 inches of rain, catastrophic flooding, lots of devastation in and around Houston. Our thoughts are certainly with all who are affected. Yeah, and I I know there are plenty of places out there where people can make donations, including the Red Cross and many others, but uh, I've been following that J.J. Watt Foundation, and they've collected nearly $5 million for that cause, and J.J. is right in the middle of it, and he promises that your money will go directly to the people that they can help. Awesome work by J.J. and his foundation, as well as all the other organizations that didn't hesitate to respond. That's right. Well, hey, Chet, we're loaded up. We're talking Eagles, Phillies, the two-time Arena Bowl champion sold, the Big E, and your crazy Sixers win prediction. But let's get this thing rolling and welcome our special guest making his first visit to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, the voice of the Penn State Nittany Lions, Steve Jones. Steve, Welcome. Bill, Chad, it's great to be with you, and I echo everything you said about Houston. Whatever all of us can do to pitch in and help, we have to do it. All right, Steve. Thanks for doing this. Full disclosure right up front, Steve Jones and I were at Penn State together as aspiring (laughs) broadcasters 100 years or so back, and uh, we then worked together at State College a few years later at a radio station that has since changed call letters but is still, I believe, the flagship station for Penn State football. Is that right, Steve? Yeah, we yeah, that's true, and we did, and we had a great time, and a lot of great friends, and a lot of great memories. So. Yeah, and Steve, I've got to tell you, oftentimes when I ask my radio partner how he's doing, he'll say, "Living the dream." But as a guy who's now broadcast well over a thousand Penn State basketball games and done play-by-play for more than two hundred Penn State football games, you really are working your dream job, are you not? Oh, there's no question about that. I mean, every time I walk into a broadcast booth, I'll take a moment and I'll glance around and say, wow, am I lucky to be doing this? I don't care where it is. And, you know, you sit there and your, your office happens to be either stadium or the Jordan Center or the Palestra or Madison Square Garden or the Rose Bowl. Your life is going along pretty well with very few complaints. Well, hey, Steve, there's a lot of excitement uh Already for this year's version of the Nittany Lions, uh, are you seeing as good of things as being advertised by the by the media at this point? Well, they've done everything in the preseason. I think you could possibly ask for them to do. In fact, I think they've had a really, really good preseason. They came out. They went to work. There's been a pace to it. They've been able to stay healthy, which is really important. And I think they were able to get a lot of work done. Now you're finally into the game week part of it where you focus in and lock in. In fact, they've done probably a couple of extra practices just based on Akron in preparation last week because of the length of the preseason. But, Bill, they haven't played a game yet, but I think they're about where you'd want them to be when you have high aspirations. Well, I have a quick follow-up before we get into all the details of the season and in the past. Uh, We had Blair Thomas on with us right about Christmas last year before the bowl game. And we asked him, of all the great running backs that have come through Penn State, you've seen many of them, who was the best? And his answer, Saquon Barkley. 
What do you say? Well, I think Barkley is going to be among them. And for me, you know, when you label a bet, uh, what you give to one, you take away from someone else. And there's just, to me, there's a grouping of guys that fall into that best because of the era they were in as opposed to that. Barkley's one. Kurt Warner's another one. Uh, obviously, a guy like Kajana Carter's another one. Larry Johnson's one. Uh, you know, Evan Royster is, is one. John Capaletti happens to be one. Lydell Mitchell, you know, Len, you know, a guy that we didn't see, though, but Lenny Moore has to be one. There's just a whole grouping of guys over the years that fall into that category, and Barkley can stand side by side with each and every one of them. Barkley is really a talented, talented player, not only the way he runs, but he's a really good pass receiver. He runs routes like a wideout. I think the guy I would compare him to in the NFL is Le'Veon Bell. Most running backs on circle routes, loadouts, getting the flat. Le'Veon Bell runs routes where, boom, he goes to that linebacker, checks it, goes, and makes the, makes the linebacker cover. So we'll say Quan's the same way, and Barkley's become a better blocker, too, along the way. So he's a complete back. And not only that, he's, just, he's probably the hardest worker on the team. And when your best player is the hardest worker on the team, that sets the tone for everybody else. And then there's the quarterback, Trace McSorley. We had uh, Ryan Bates on with us last week, the offensive tackle, and he was gushing about not only Barkley but about Trace McSorley as well. I'm pretty sure you enjoy getting to watch those guys week after week. So you talked about Barkley. How good is McSorley, the quarterback? Well, McSorley, let's talk about this in baseball terms. I think whenever we watch a pitcher on the mound at any level, we can tell right away which ones trust their stuff and which ones don't. The ones that don't double nibble a little bit more. Then all of a sudden when they go set, they take an hour and eight minutes and then deliver. Well, McSorley as a quarterback trusts his stuff. You, know, you can see it, the way he handles himself in the running game, the way he handles himself in the pass game. And he doesn't try to do many things that are outside of his capability. And because of that, I think it allows him to go out and, and go about his business. He has intangibles. And when you look at a guy like that, and I'll give you an example, you know, the end of the uh, two big plays in the Minnesota game last year, there was an 80-yard touchdown pass that he threw to Irvin Charles, where he breaks contain, he steps up to the line of scrimmage, and if he wants, he can pick up a first down. But because he keeps his head up, he fires a dart downfield to Charles. He's now on the drive that tied the game. And slowly had a couple of passes, one to Deshaun Hamilton, one to Chris Godwin. But then he stepped up in the pocket, and everything opened up for him, and he took off on a 37-yard run. He's got the kind of instinct that you can't teach. And because of that, he is a real difference maker. He makes really good judgment on the RPO. He's got a really good arm. And not only that, he's a guy that knows how to win. Well, you see, one thing it looks like to me at the at the end of last year, or well, the middle half of last year, and I think looking into this year too, one of the things that I've noticed is the offensive line is probably as good as they've had up there in Happy Valley for quite a few years, um, and and led by young guys like Ryan Bates and some others. Those guys are pretty good. Bill, this is the biggest improvement of the football team, and this is where the biggest change has happened since the sanctions were lifted because when they only had 65 players and you're only allowed to recruit 15 guys in a year, you have to make some hard decisions. Do I take the wide out? Do I take the running back? Or do I take the uh, offensive lineman? Well, nine times out of 10, the running back or the wide out is going to win when you have limited uh, scholarships and the offensive lineman is going to be the odd person out. Well, now that they're back to 85 scholarships, they put a heavy emphasis on recruiting the offensive line. Bates is outstanding, and he can play any one of the five positions on the offensive line. But it turns out when they moved him to left tackle last year, it turned out to be a really natural transition for him. He's a really good left tackle. And now that he's had the rest of last season, spring ball, and the preseason, his comfort level there is really, really solid right now. McGovern's a natural center. Man, it's a guy that, that's going to be a good player down the road. Steven Gonzalez, Chaz White. And not only that, they have size now, Bill. When you look at, I mean, Bates at 315, I think McGovern is 310, and McGovern's the lightest guy in the line. Uh, Gonzalez is 340. Uh, Chaz White is a cheeseburger away from 355. 
Wow. I mean, they're big, and then you have the, but then you have Will Fries, Manet, Andrew Nelson. That's where your depth comes into play. They never had this kind of depth the last three years. Another thing that's really great, Steve, is the fact that uh, so many guys are back, especially on offense. Nine out of the 11, I believe, gone are center Brian Gaia and the wide receiver Chris Godwin. But a lot of weapons now as far as wide receivers, the tight end Mike Gusecki. Uh Boy, McSorley's got his pick out there who he, who he can not throw to, doesn't he? Well, he does because I think there's a good six-man rotation that you have out there between Juwan Johnson, who's now really stepped up, Herb Charles, Saeed Blacknall, Okay, Deshaun Hamilton has had a great camp. DeAndre Tompkins is really good and Brandon Polk. Now you mix in Mike Gesicki, the tight end, 6'6", two-time Gatorade Basketball Player of the Year in New Jersey, who uses his basketball skills when he's out there as a receiver. You've just seen the body position he has, his ability to get the ball at the high point. And then Jonathan Holland has stepped up and has now given them depth at that position. So you've got six guys in that spot that can really rotate in. And Jawan Johnson's been one of the critical players in this because he stepped up right away in the spring and let everybody know right away that he was going to be somebody you can depend on because Godwin was obviously a guy you could depend on all the time. His concentration was exemplary, as James Winston's finding out right now. And now that they have that, I think they feel very comfortable where they are at wide receiver, and Johnson's made that easier for them. Well, Steve, the uh, looking at the schedule this year and, there, and the high hopes of possibly even making it to the national championship, let alone the Big Ten championship, but there, there's a visit from Pitt early. There's a trip to Iowa, which is always a tough place to go. But say in the perfect world they can come out of that 6-0 and going into the bye week, um, the schedulers weren't nice to them. Michigan at home, at Ohio State, at Michigan State, back to back to back. Uh, can can you run that table? Well, look, I think you know everything's a twist and turn along the way, uh, and it, it's always hard to sit there and say, you know, where will they be on November first? I mean, you know, let's let's look back at what's happened historically uh, with. Like even last year. I mean, did you expect last year you'd lose three offensive tackles, Brendan Mann, Andrew Nelson, and Paris Palmer, and then survive it? And that's what they did. So you don't know along the way who you have, who they don't have, and that's how you got to play it out. They'll have a bye week before they play Michigan. Now, when I look at the schedule, there are two things that I look at right away in the schedule. It is automatic that you're going to get six teams always, and that's the teams in your division, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Maryland, Indiana, Rutgers. You're going to get them all the time. So the first thing I look at is who are your crossover games? Well, there are four teams in the West that Penn State could get for crossover games. Uh, three teams in the West Penn State could get for crossover games. And to me, the four top teams over there, Penn State's got three of them. They've got Northwestern, which is really good, at Iowa, and they got Nebraska at home. Then what's your non-conference? And obviously Pitt's going to be coming here uh, with uh, Georgia State and Akron sandwiching it. So that, to me, is that we need to look at this road to get there. Uh, you know, A game at Iowa, not easy. A game at Northwestern, not easy. Northwestern's a good team. Thorson's a good quarterback. Jackson's a good running back. Iguobuike at safety is one of the better ones, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country. And that game is out there. So it really is a road, and every game, as far as I'm concerned, when you're in Penn State's position, every game's going to feel like a playoff game. Win it, keep going. Win it, keep going. And I think that, you know, we saw that in 1986 with the approach that they had to take, that every game felt like a playoff game. I think this might be the same kind of road. Well, this is exciting to be talking about this again. Penn State football clearly is back. A great season last year under James Franklin, nine straight wins after that 2-2 two and two start, the thrilling win over Ohio State, the Big Ten Championship. And you know what, Steve, before continuing, let me play your call of that key moment in the win <laughs> over the Buckeyes at Beaver Stadium. Pick it up, it's blocked! On the turn, picked up by Haley! Haley to 50, to 40, 30, 25, 20, Haley, 10! Take 
probably the most memorable play yeah. of that season, of course. And a great call by you, Mr. Jones, I must say. Uh, I guess that was, was pretty that? amazing was being there to witness that. Oh, man, witness that in a sold-out Beaver Stadium and to know that Penn State would suddenly be getting a whole lot more national attention. Take us back to that night. Well, I mean, the night was big because going into the game, you know, obviously Ohio State had a lot of justified hype. They're a really good football team. But when you were getting ready for the game, Jack Ham and I were talking the week of the game, and there's certain things about Ohio State we weren't crazy about. And I said to him, I said, if, if, if Curtis Samuel doesn't get a lot of touches, they don't have a lot of offense. And I think people, when I said in the pregame show, thought I was insane. Uh, because I think Barrett's a good college quarterback. I was not crazy at all about their wide receivers. And I also thought Penn State had a couple of favorable matchups between their defensive ends and their tackles. Now, I knew Garrett Sickles couldn't play the first half, but I could say to Jack at one point when Sickles gets in, he's going to be able to take the Princeton. And when they finally got going in the game, Samuel in the second half broke that 74-yard run, but that's one of only two touches he had in the game, which played into what Penn State was doing. And Penn State shut them out the final 23 minutes of the game. And I think the biggest play of the game uh, that set a tone for the rest of the way was not the block by Cam Brown, not the block by Marcus Allen, the return by Grant Haley, but Penn State took the ball, and analytics will tell you you should probably take a knee based on the time remaining and so forth in your yard line. And they got aggressive, and they scored right before the end of the half. And I felt that changed the dynamics of the game that night. And the crowd played a tremendous role in that game. And that was one of those moments that after all the years that they got through here, suddenly everybody could let loose and really enjoy the moment of one of the biggest wins here ever. Mm-hmm. It, it sure was exciting, no no doubt about it. I've been to a few pretty exciting ones up there as well, and uh, but that one rates right up there at the top. Mm-hmm. Hey, Steve, you uh, as this has all evolved since the, the Joe Paterno era, the Bill O'Brien era, and, and now James Franklin, and, and, you know, as Chet says, it's great to see Penn State football being back. But, you know, I kind of look at it whether uh, it's the kind of kids that Penn State recruits, it's the kind of people that they bring into the program, Bill O'Brien included, and, and James Franklin, that, you know, the, the Michael Mottis and the Michael Zordiches did a wonderful thing back in, in that time. And to me, Penn State only took a little dip. They never went away. Well, that's the amazing part of it. Penn State was never five, under 500 in all of this, which I think uh, an average program would have been way below 500. But they were able to keep as many players intact between what Bill did, what Mike Motti did, what Michael Zordich did. Uh, and then James Franklin stepped in and brought his style and imprint on the program that really opened up all the recruiting doors to replenish. But I think a big factor in all this are the fans. I don't think Penn State can can thank its fans enough because everyone said when this happened years ago that they would be winning three or four games. Oh, and by the way, the crowds will probably dwindle down to twenty five or 30,000. Well, they kept getting 90, 95, 100,000. They kept influencing games. They kept influencing recruits. And the fan base played a gigantic role in allowing Penn State to be in the spot they're in right now. Hey, Steve, Bill mentioned uh, Joe Paterno. We want to ask you about Joe Pa. You worked closely with him in the 80s and 90s doing a weekly talk show and pre- and post-game work for football before taking over play-by-play duties uh, 17 or so years back. What are your memories of Joe Paterno, the coach, and Joe Pa, the man? Well, Joe was – uh, I cannot say enough great things about Joe. Uh, the way, what he, how he treated me, how he treated my family over the years. If I ever needed anything, I know I could go to him and, and, and say something to him, and he would go to the wall and, and take care of whatever, if I needed any person he was. As a coach, he was somebody that had a feel for the game that – really is unparalleled. There was one season, for example, you know, you give the play calling duties over to the coordinators. There was one season in the mid-2000s, I think maybe 2005, where Joe called six plays. All six were touchdowns. Hmm. 
uh, because of that feel for the moment and so forth. I mean, things that people don't know. I mean, how he ran a practice, you know, his judgment as to what he saw on a practice field, uh, how he was able to get the most out of his players. I think one of the reasons, you know, that Bill O'Brien, for example, was able to, you know, we talked about what he did in his couple of years. Well, that's because Joe had not left the covered bear. Uh, when when Bill got there, I mean they you know Bill did a great job of u- utilizing the talent that Joe had left, but he had just a feel that was second to none, and also a, and despite the age disparity, he could relate to young people so easily, and you know he could relate to a donor, relate to a young player, he could relate to an announcer. He had that ability, and in 32 years. I don't think there was one moment ever that he and I ever had a crossword, ever, in 32 years. And my respect for him, and obviously, you know, I feel about him as something that, you know, I knew the guy, so that's something that nobody could ever even consider changing my mind. Absolutely. And, Steve, I can tell you, back uh, around 1994 through 2004, thereabouts, that 10-year period, I had an opportunity to – work at the Penn State uh, summer football camps back when they were those week-long events and uh, <laughs> right. with, with Coach Paterno and uh, Tom Bradley and and Bill Kenny and that bunch. I always I ended up pretty much hooked up with Bill and uh, and Dick Anderson. And that was a lot of fun working with those guys. And, uh, you know, I, I got to know them. And certainly as this whole thing uh, took place, it, it was certainly in my thoughts that I know these good people and uh, you're not changing my mind either. Right, exactly. I mean, these are all people I know, and I know where they where their heart is. I mean, for goodness, goodness sakes, Joseph's grandfather is seventeen. Grandfather seventeen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know how he treated my five children. Treated my five children like they were gold, and of course, you know, he, the grandfather is seventeen. Same thing with all the other guys on that staff. And now, when you fast forward to this particular year, something you see with James Franklin right now is the fact that he's got the same staff intact for a second straight year. And that's one of the things that was great with Joe is the continuity of the staff from year to year meant a lot. And I think what you're seeing with James this year is the continuity of the staff is making a big impact on what we're seeing right now. Hey, by the way, Steve, I taped an interview a few weeks back with a guy who happens to be a big fan of your work. And after the formal interview, I still had that recorder going. And I mentioned that you would be coming on the show at the end of August. And this is what former Phillies broadcaster Chris Wheeler had to say about you. We've become very good friends over the years. and He was very supportive of me when I was on the air. And, you know, and I think he's just an outstanding broadcaster. And I love listening to him and the way him and you know, he and Jack Ham have uh, become great partners. And they're such good friends, too. You, uh, I've been around them, and you, you can hear that on the air. Yeah. But Steve Jones is a special guy. There you well, go, Chris Steve. Chris Wheeler is a special guy. And I want to tell you, the Phillies were – the Phillies have had some, a lot of great, great people that have worked with them over the years, whether it was Harry or Whitey, Andy Musser. I mean, now with, with Tommy and Scott Fransky and all those guys, they do great work. But Wheels for 37 years. Philly fans are really, really lucky to have him. He is a good friend of mine. Uh, in fact, he sent me a text this afternoon out of the blue, and I'm going to text him back when, uh, tonight about a couple of things uh, with, with Penn State football. So we've become really good friends over the years, and it's one of those uh, elements where you cherish a good friendship like that, especially somebody who's in the same profession you are, because you can relate to each other about the ups and downs of it. Hey, he mentioned Jack Ham. You get to work with the Hall of Famer every weekend, <laughs> uh, and Dick Girardi for basketball, too. Those are yeah. two guys who know a hell of a lot about football and basketball, respectively, right? Chet, it's unbelievable. I I've, I've sat back, and when I look at Jack Ham and Dick Girardi, their feel for the game, to me, is unparalleled. And I think something that, you know, we were taught as young broadcasters, you know, going back, you and me, was that we were always taught, look, work with people that make you better. Well, however good you think I am, and you can make anybody can make a judgment as to what kind of job they think I do. I can tell you I'm exponentially better because I work with Jack Ham and Dick Girardi because they make me a lot better. Dick is so funny, so spot on, and sees the game in a way that most analysts don't see. And Jack is the same way. Jack has a great sense of humor, but he also sees things 
and tells you what and why happened in a game. And neither one of them tells you all the simple stuff, you know, the basic fallback analyst stuff. I think the mark of a really good analyst is that when the game is over, you, the listener, have learned more about the game. I just define Jack Hammond, Dick Girardi. Mm. Excellent. Well, hey Steve, we do a uh, we do a thing, especially with our first our first time guests, a little segment where Chet basically asks five pretty simple questions, and and you give five pretty simple <laughs> answers. You you up for that? Sure, let's have some fun. <laughs> All right, let's do Here it. Here we Chet. go. Fast five with Steve Jones. Steve, there's a guy trying to make the Eagles right now as a free agent, a kid out of Glassboro High by, the, by way of the University of Wisconsin. You know him, Corey Clement. What is your scouting report on Corey Clement? Corey Clement, really good back between the tackles. Uh, I think he's the kind of guy that moves chains along the way, hard worker, better receiver out of the backfield than people realize. All right, number two, we've watched a lot of Penn State football over the last 40 years, from Chuck Fusina back in the late 70s when I was at Happy Valley to Trace McSorley today. Who are the three very best quarterbacks the Lions have had over that time? Oh, my goodness. So over the last 40 years, okay, we'll leave Trace on since he's still putting his work together, all right? Yes. So I would say Kerry Collins certainly would be one. I would say Top Blackledge would be another one. And then it becomes really close between Chuck Fusina and Michael Robinson. But I'll go with Michael Robinson because of uh, everything that he was able to do in the 2005 season. I like it. Number three, see, did you have any sportscaster heroes as a young kid growing up in Connecticut? Kurt Gowdy was a guy that I looked at when I was young because Kurt Gowdy, he was working with the Red Sox when I was really young. But then, of course, with NBC, and what really struck me about Kurt Gowdy is that he could do the World Series, and he sounded great. He could do the Super Bowl, and he sounded great. And he could do the Final Four, and sounded great. So it really made an impression on me that you could work different sports, and you could change up different sports, and that you could be very good at each one of them. Number four, do you ever have any flashbacks to when we used to broadcast in the WMAJ studios on Ambassador Square in the State College, and people would stare in the windows while we were on the air? <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll go by there uh, because now we're doing uh, the talk show at Permandy Brothers, which is actually down across where the old G-Band used to be. So I have to go by there once in a while, and I'll think about those times when we'd be there in the evening, and people would walk by and they'd stare, and you'd look over at them, and you would think, "I don't know you. I wish you would keep moving." <laughs> <laughs> I remember it well. And number five, Steve, a statecollege.com piece on you last year said you'd done radio play-by-play of 18 different Penn State varsity sports. I guess that's true. I don't know. What is the most offbeat or unusual sport you've called out in Happy Valley? Yeah, well, because you get to immense soccer, field hockey, things like that. So nothing offbeat. It's all the sports that you see today, from wrestling to women's volleyball to men's volleyball and so forth. So there really isn't anything offbeat I've done along the way, maybe for charity along the way, but not, but not in terms of actual broadcasting a game. Great Very job good. playing Fast Five, Steve. Very impressive. Yep. Yeah. Hey, Steve, I enjoyed it. If- Steve, before we let you go, uh, you have a weekly podcast and some some shows you do that the listeners uh, that are Penn State fans can can check out as well. Can you give a quick rundown of where they could find that? Yeah, uh, I do two talk shows a day here. One is on uh, the old 1450 that uh, Chet and I worked at uh, years ago from 1 to 3, and then I do another show on WKOK in Sunbury on AM 1070, and they have a podcast. Uh, that would be under stevejonesshow.com. And we try to get as many guests on there as possible, from from Jack Ham to Jim Delaney. Terry Bowden was on this week. We just try to, you know, Rod Gilmore was working the game on TV. We try to get as many guests as possible like that. Rick Neuheisel was on last month. So, I mean, that's what we do, and we do put them up on podcast on stevejonesshow.com and WKOK. Uh, I don't usually promote that, but I appreciate it. All right. Well, Steve, we we thank you for joining us, and we are looking forward to one huge season in Penn State this year. Bill, anytime. Chet, anytime. You guys know what I really enjoy. Thank you for your time. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. It was a blast.
let's take a break now and allow me to tell you about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. We've mentioned that the Rover recently unveiled a slew of new menu items, such as a farmer's salad, a turkey burger, gamer's flatbread, and broiled flounder. Plus, the Rover has a new express lunch menu designed to get you in and out in 30 minutes. All express lunch items are just $7. You can add a draft beer for 2 bucks. This Saturday, DJ Show will be there to get the party going. And mark your calendar for September 30th. That is when this great Irish pub goes German for one day anyway. Yep, Oktoberfest takes place 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday the 30th as the rover turns its patio into a beer garden complete with German food, beer, music, and steinhoisting. The Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. And speaking of Irish, happy 71st birthday Thursday to the great Van Morrison. <laughs> hey, what a lead-in to our next, uh, our next segment, but we're going to be talking fantasy football leading up to the season with another Irishman. We have Fred Hugo talking league drafts, and as uh, – you you know that many drafts have already taken place, and uh, some will be this week after the final preseason game. But let's welcome Fred back. Talk any last-minute important moves. Fred, welcome. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, hey we got to unveil that. Got to unveil that new music. Let's see if it works. The Fred music. Here we go. There you go. I thought you guys switched it up on me again. <laughs> Oh no no! Well, now we're you know, it was okay, su- Fred. It was such a good uh, Van Morrison lead-in. I just jumped all over your lead-in and, and went with it. <laughs> I hear you. Well, Fred, tell us what's going on. We got uh, last preseason game tomorrow. Giant roster cuts coming up around the entire league. Uh, have your leagues already drafted? I saw a few guys posting their teams already. Sunday is. Uh, typically last this past Sunday that just passes the biggest fantasy football I guess draft day of the year as far as ESPN says so I did mine on the um the Saturday night before because the way we do it is we have like a like an open bar type thing we all hang out for drinks and stuff and then that led right into the fight so yeah I got I got my one draft out of the way I have one more uh tomorrow night but that's a different format so I, I can spill some information now without hurting myself All right, Fred, some major injury news over the weekend. Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman will miss the entire season with a torn ACL. You're not real happy if you had your draft already, and Edelman was one of your key picks. So what do you do now? Do you go out and find another receiver? Yeah, that the, you you well you look on the Patriots and you and you watch how the depth chart goes. So if you, if you're looking at New England, you know that that they spread the ball around every year, regardless. It seems like a new guy steps up. You saw that in the Super Bowl with Chris Hogan. So there's a few different options there with, with Danny Amendola and Malcolm Mitchell. But uh, I personally think you go out and you get Chris Hogan. I think he's going to jump up up the boards, and he's going to be a, a very hot pick for you to get. Um, I think he'll fill right in, and, and he's going to – He's going to have a great season, filling right in, stepping right up as a similar news for the Bears here. and wide receiver uh, Cameron Mit- or Meredith of the Bears. He's going to miss the season also. Was he a popular pick, Cameron Meredith? I don't. I don't want to say he was like popular. I think he's top seventy, maybe. Um, he was the number one there. So depending on how Glennon did, they didn't really have a quarterback. Where if Trubisky ends up ends up starting, I doubt that. But he went down, so they lost their number one receiver. So monitoring their depth chart, I, I can see it. I already thought Kevin White was going to have a, a good season. They drafted him last year. He was a rookie. He was hurt uh, most of the year, ended up out for the season, I believe. So he should step up. And then there's another person over there, uh, Marcus Wheaton, who you'll remember from the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, had a few successful games over there. I think he's going to really take advantage of this as he's going to get a lot more snaps and he, he's a guy you should look to, to pick up on the waiver wire as well. Hey, Fred, speaking of the Edelman injury, uh, back when I used to play, we, we were in a league. Actually, we, we drafted after the last cuts, so we, we knew what the active rosters were going to be. But we also had a limit of three transactions. Is, is that a rule now, or does pretty much most of these leagues have open transactions? There's there it's open transactions in all different leagues, but there's different ways to to stop, I guess, or make it fair, I guess you would say. Some leagues have what's called like an auction setup where 
for example, you may have a hundred hours that you can spend and uh, every week during the free agent period, all the teams will bid on a player. And then if you get that player, you would lose whatever you bidded on that, that person. You know what I mean? So that, that gives you like a little salary cap. Some people just do it a waiver wire wire in order of like your record. So if you have the the worst record, you'd be first on the waiver wire and so on all the way down to the best. And then they keep switching, but most are unlimited. It's just, there's a way to stop it from being, because there's always that guy. And I used to be that guy in my early twenties, like that, like <laughs> sits there at Monday night football at 10. Oh, as soon as it turns 12 Oh one and goes and picks up all the players. So you got to have a way to stop that for people that aren't going to be hmm. on the computer that late every night, you know? Hey, Fred, the Colts still haven't clarified the status of Andrew Luck, who's got that shoulder problem, but all signs are pointing to him missing at least the team's season opener, maybe a couple of games beyond that. Would you still draft Luck fairly high if you haven't had your draft yet? Uh, no, I would stay completely away from him, just I, unless it's very late. I would draft my starting quarterback before him. I was actually listening to uh, on a radio show today how he – He's wearing this certain T-shirt that he wears whenever he's hurt, and that, that's not a good sign. But you can, like I was talking to you in previous shows, you can draft quarterbacks that are going to get a good amount of points for you. And if he's still there in your later rounds after you already have a starter established, then, yeah, I would I would definitely scoop him up as a, as a backup for now as opposed to some second or third string receiver or running back. Well, Fred, we've seen pretty much all of the Eagles that we're going to see here as far as their – they're impact players. Um, where where are you going with those guys in the draft? We I know we asked you that last a couple of weeks ago. Uh, has that changed any now that you've seen the full body of work of the preseason? Who do you like on the Eagles? It's it's really tough to say. I would stay. I'm going to stay away from the running back position altogether. You know, I, you just don't know. Any one of them could end up having great success, but uh, I, unless it's a late pick, I'm probably staying away from them. Wendell Smallwood could be like a sleeper. But I, I, I would say probably Alshon Jeffrey or, or Carson Wentz. I would take Alshon in maybe a third or fourth round type scenario. But Carson Wentz is really a quarterback that I think is going to take off this year, and you can get him like in your 11th, 12th, 13th round. The only problem is we are in the, the Philadelphia area, so a lot of other people in the draft are more attuned to, to what he's doing, so you may not be able to get him that late. But that, that's the guy I would take as a, as a starting quarterback, and instead of wasting an early pick on, say, Aaron Rodgers, I would snag Wentz later in the draft. Well, Fred, I prodded you a bit last night, gave you a little kick in the butt, and you uh, finally updated your fredandbutter.com website. Uh, you put some good info out there today. Tell everybody what it is. Well, I just did a top 200 for a points per reception league. I, I actually been working on it. A lot of stuff with, with the wedding planning prevented me. But anyway, I popped that up. And it's no just excuses. Basically, basically a list. Uh, no excuses is right, but it's basically a list <laughs> right in here to the last weekend that you can literally go down the list and just cross them off as you go. And, and I'm almost going to – I don't want to, yeah, I'm pretty much guaranteed that you'll have a solid draft and a solid team if you just follow, follow that list as it goes. And Good. where can the listeners find that list? Uh, you can find that on fredandbutter.com. All right. Spell that out again because that's a little tricky. Yeah, so it's Fred, F-R-E-D, and A-N-D, butter, B-U-T-T-E-R.com. And I'll be posting stuff all throughout the year in reference to college football, pro football picks, all types of stuff, but uh, as, as well as fantasy lineups, et cetera. All right. All just wanted to be sure that everybody knew that you had to spell out the and in there and it wasn't an and sign. Wait, well, hey, Fred, yeah, one, right. one thing before we cut it loose on a little different subject. We brought you up last week, and uh, I wanted to ask you why we had you on here tonight. Um, are the players taking this whole thing for granted with uh, with the fans and, and some of their activities? What do you say as a young guy? Does this protest stuff mean much to you or anything to you like it does some of the elderly? The protest thing. See, uh, being younger, I, personally, I, I don't. It doesn't like hurt me or affect me, but I understand how the people that went to war for us and defend this country and how that affects them. So just out of complete respect to them, I mean, I was always taught to just stand, regardless of my opinions of, of the United States or the government, I was always taught to just respect the flag and respect them. So that's how I feel about it. 
um, as far as the players doing what they do, I mean, it's it's really up to you if you want to pay attention to it or, or you don't. You know, I, I've been in, in stadiums where people are horsing around in, 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 the, in the stands while the anthem's going on. And, I mean, personally, the way I would handle that, if I had my daughter or son, I would just say you know, they're a bunch of knuckleheads like any other knuckleheads and just and stand there and, and, and respect the flag, you know. But as far as, like, taking the fans for granted, I, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I, I don't think the NFL care. They, they just think the fans are always going to be here regardless of what's going on. And I think the numbers are starting to show the opposite. Now, whether that has to do with – the political stuff that was going on last year with the presidency or, or what, I don't know, but there is the, the products not as good either. We can't remember, forget about that either, but the products getting, getting worse as well. But yeah, as far as the, the political end of it, I mean, I mean, they, they have the right to do what they want to do. And I, and I, and I, that's what the people fall for is for you to, if you want to take a knee, then, then that's your, your right to do so. And I have a right to, to disagree with it, but, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, you can't really prevent prevent it, you know. Oh, well, I guess you can if you look at it. I mean, an empl- place of employment is is not the place for protest either. So, I mean, I know I can't go into my job, and if I have some political agenda within that job, to go in and just start changing. If I if I was ignoring whatever topic that may be, I would lose my job. So, I mean, right. there's both ways to look at it, and I can see both sides of it. But me personally, I'm probably going to just keep watching football and ignore that end of it. All right. All right, Fred. Hey, we appreciate it. Good luck in your other draft. And uh, I think we'll probably be talking to you again next week, I believe. All right. Sounds good. I'll talk to you next week. All right, Fred. Thanks. Thanks, Fred. Hey, Chet, the Eagles finish up the preseason tomorrow night, as we said, against the Jets with some roster spots. They're still up for grabs. Anything stick out for you this preseason that – you really weren't expecting? Well, one thing is that we really didn't see a whole lot of the first-team offense, two-and-a-half quarters or so over three games. So you hope that's enough, but, you know, who knows? The other thing is, despite all the talk of this being a pretty darn good offensive line, even when they were all in there together in game three, they weren't all that impressive, run blocking or pass protecting. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that, uh, you know, but I keep hearing, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, we got it, we're going to be fine. Uh, you know, I, I would prefer to see, you know, see some results rather than, than talk. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting over the next uh, few days to see how much more tweaking Howie Roseman does to the roster ahead of the season opener. He made another minor trade the other day, acquiring another backup corner, and this afternoon he waived cornerback and special teams guy Ron Brooks, of course, you know about John Dorenboss, a very popular uh, long snapper who was sent packing the other day. I'm sure there's still more to come with all teams making lots of roster cuts over the weekend. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's going to be a lot of moves, uh, especially in that defensive backfield. I'm not sure that they're satisfied or close to satisfied with what they have. And I, I think you're going to see some linebacker depth. I, I, I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I have a real concern with that linebacker depth. They're they're awful young if they lose any one of the top three guys. Yep. And, hey, some breaking news from the Eagles. They will induct David Akers into the Eagles Hall of Fame this fall. How about that, David Akers? Hey, very nice. All-time leading scorer. He, put, he signed that on my helmet, by the way, Mr. Chesko. Ah, and a nice guy, too. I've met him. Real nice guy. Super dude. Absolutely, absolutely. So, hey, looking forward to it. Uh, we'll when we talk next Wednesday, we'll be talking kickoff with the Washington Redskins, and uh, I'm kind of ready to get this thing up and running. Oh, you and me both, man. Uh, you know, the fourth preseason game, nobody really cares about it except to see, you know, who the 45th and 47th guys on the roster are going to be winning those jobs. But, uh, yeah, a week from Sunday, it's for real. Eagles, Redskins, 1 o'clock on the 10th. Can't wait. Me either. Wait, Chet, uh, switching subjects. We, well, not subjects, just teams. We were remiss last week because of time and we failed to talk about the Philadelphia soul as they prepared for the arena bowl championship. And now we get to talk about the back-to-back champion Philadelphia. soul. tell me the truth. Did you watch the game and are you going to the parade? More importantly, 
Well, first of all, I didn't even know there was going to be a parade. I have no clue about that. But I, I sort of watched the game last Saturday night. You'll recall I was at 97.5's Fantasy Fest all afternoon Saturday. And when I got home, I ended up doing a few things on the computer while half watching the game. I had it on. I wasn't really paying close attention to him. But what, what I did see, it was fun. A great second half with a soul after a sluggish start, a banged-up quarterback gutting it out and getting it done, leaving Ron Jaworski and Dick Vermeil all smiles in the end. So congrats to the soul. Yeah, 44-40. to 40. You know, that's one thing about arena, arena football, if you've ever been, and I've only been just a few times, they score points, man. They run up and down the field, and they score lots of points and throw the ball all over the place. Yeah, they do. And, of course, the field's only 50 yards instead of 100, so it makes it a little easier. You're always closer to the end zone. But, uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. A lot of points put up every single game. Well, it's not all that, that exciting for the receivers when they get tackled into the hockey boards. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good point. <laughs> yeah, and, and as for the parade, I am only – I did not know if there's one or not either, but I assume there was since they did have a mini parade last year. Yeah, I don't know. Also, I was assuming that would be happening again. I don't know. I, I can't say. We'll have to investigate that one. Yep, we'll have to check it out. Well, hey, on to another huge announcement from the Flyers this week, Chet. They will be retiring number 88 on January 18th at the Wells Fargo Center, honoring the Big E and only the sixth number ever retired. Pretty exciting to me. I'd sure like to be there for that. Yeah, it is very exciting. It's been quite a year for the Biggie. He was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame last November, played with the Flyers legends in that great 50th anniversary event in January the other uh, day. Then he got word that his number will be retired. As you said, only five other Flyers have been so honored. So it's a nice honor. What a difference, by the way, for Lindros from the early 2000s through now. There wasn't a lot of love for number 88 at the end of his Flyers career amid the concussions, the bad relationship between his family and the organization, and then in the years after that when he played for the Rangers and Leafs. As you know, time heals all wounds, and now Eric is beloved among Flyers fans, and this is nice news that he's getting his jersey number retired. Yeah, and, and you know, I think from the fans' perspective on that, I don't know that there was ever a time that the fans went against them. Uh, you know, he was just so good for so long while he was here. Unfortunately, just didn't bring home the cup. But, man, it, you talk to most Flyer fans, you know, that are any younger than you and I, Chet, that never saw Bobby Clark, you ask them who their favorite Flyer is, and it's always, almost always, 88. Oh, yeah, he he was great to watch. We've discussed him before. Just a guy, you know, that size who could score and also – crush people so he was exciting and i loved watching him play all throughout the 90s absolutely well i uh, don't think i'll be there on on january 18th unless uh something lucky strikes me but i certainly would like to be at the wells fargo center that night yep gonna be a great night i'm sure all right Wait, Chet, september 1st is finally here so it's time for the major league baseball roster expansion are you ready to see that J.P. Crawford and others at Citizens Bank Park? It's worked out pretty well for Nick Williams, Reese Hopkins, Hoskins, and Jorge Alfaro so far. And, by the way, the Phils lost a pair today. Yeah, they sure did. Uh, well, yeah, it, it's worked out well for those guys, as you mentioned, Williams, Hoskins, and Alfaro to an extent. Um, but unless I missed it, the Phils haven't made any announcements as yet as we speak Wednesday evening regarding who's getting the call. Although Todd Zalecki reported that JP is definitely coming up, and I'm sure that is the case. Curious to see how much playing time Crawford will get. Will he get time at shortstop and third base? Maybe a little second base also? I mean, we had Freddie Gallis play in center field in the second game of Wednesday's doubleheader, which was kind of wild. Um, speculation was that Scott Kingley will not be getting the call, however, since they would have to move someone from the 40-man roster first. We'll see. But, yeah, J.P. Crawford, I'm sure, will be one of the guys called up, as well as another catcher because Knapp is not ready to come back just yet. So we'll see. September baseball is always kind of, you know, funny. You you don't know what you're going to get because you're going to see a lot of substitutions with the extra guys. You're going to see guys getting days off. Uh, you're going to see, you know, some pitchers that you never, ever heard of and will probably never see again. So it's a weird month, September. Well, it is. And, and you know, I think um, we, we actually, I 
posted an article on the phillypressboxradio.com today that was a Jim Salisbury article, and he talked about J.P. Crawford being on the way. And, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Altair and Odubo Herrera come off the disabled list this weekend, so they've got Herrera, Altair, Nick Williams, and uh, Hoskins to play the outfield, but there's only three outfielders unless we're playing softball. And, uh, hmm. you know, you can move Hoskins to first base, but then you move a Tommy Joseph out. And then you also have the Freddie Galvez trying to play in all 162 games, which he's made it clear he wants to try to do. Um, maybe that's why he shows up in center field so that J.P. Crawford shows up at shortstop. Who knows? Yeah, well, Pete McCannon and I guess Matt Klintak, to an extent, will have some decisions to make because they want to get all these guys at bats and some playing time, and they want to see, you know, if they can play other positions. Um, but you also want to try to win the games, too, even though they're not making the playoffs or anything, certainly. Uh, you still want to try to win every game when you're out there. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. And I just want to see, you know, these young guys get a lot of quality at bats, watch them continue to develop, and hopefully give us all something to feel good about going into 2018. Yeah, and, you know, there's really one thing I want to see, Chet, and I want to keep an eye on this. You know, it's been reported that they've started playing J.P. Crawford a little bit over at third base. I really want to see if they bring him up in September and they put him at third base more than a little. Uh, Because I, I, you know, we talked about this, uh, was it last week, about whether uh, with Mike Sealski about whether you, it's time to give in on Crawford or Franco or what, and I think if they make a move to start spread, spreading playing time there at third base, Franco may be on his way out. Yeah, could be. He's not going to like that if he sees uh, you know only a couple of games a week in September. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, I, I don't know how they're going to divvy up the playing time, so we'll have to just watch and see. Well, the only one that for the moment appears like they're good is uh, Cesar Hernandez if Kingry does not get the call, which uh, it, it does, as you mentioned, sounds like he's not going to. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. They could move Galvis over there, and um, they could possibly do something like that. And, and by the way, you mentioned about the catcher uh, with Andrew Knapp still hurt. He's going to be out for a little bit uh, longer, but they were talking about possibly just using that Andres Blanco as the third catcher and not bring up someone else. Interesting. I don't know why you would uh, do that. I mean, if you have the roster space in September, but uh, we'll see. Well, yeah, and, and I don't know if maybe if they brought someone else up, they couldn't bring activate nap. Uh, you know, there's a lot of 40-man uh, roster yeah. stuff that has to play into who comes and who goes and how many transactions you get and all that business. And And by the way, your buddy, your man, I should say, Jake Thompson will be getting the call again. And uh, you really like Jake, but he kind of fell out of your graces. <laughs> Boy, he did not do well this year in AAA. He did a little better, actually, when he was up with the uh, Phils for his uh, couple of starts. But, yeah, I don't know what's the matter with him. I don't know what's the matter with Ikoff. I mean, Ikoff has had more bad games than good games this year. He got shelled in the first game of the doubleheader today, as we speak, Wednesday. Um might have tweaked something also. Really disappointed in both Thompson and Eikhoff, and I'm hoping it's just a little blip and that they'll get back on track next year because I was really counting on those guys to be in the rotation going forward. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, and, you know, he needs to get up and get some innings, you know. Uh, Jake Thompson does. As as far as Eikhoff, he couldn't miss a bat today. Finally took himself (laughs) out uh, with an injury, but he was just getting shellacked. Yep. All right. Well, hey, Chad, let's again thank our, all of our visitors that go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com. That 20,000 is fast approaching. We're just a few away, probably going to get there in the next day or two. So we're excited about that. Less than 11 months old, um, 20,000 visitors is pretty pretty happy, something we're pretty happy with. So we continue yep. to keep it updated with articles and uh you wrote one today about the Sixers that I think you're going to talk about before we're through. You can listen to all of our shows and also the Vimeos from all of our show guests. Listen to our websites. Uh, the Irish Rover Station House is there. Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com. Just go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com. 
click on each of their displays, and transfer over to their websites. Not a whole lot I can add to that, but, yeah, check it every day. If you just want to get the you know, score, the Phillies game in the afternoon, click on it there. It's updated right at the top of the website. So check it out, phillypressboxradio.com. All right. Hey, Chet, you came up with another great guest this week in Steve Jones. Who will you surprise us with next Wednesday? Who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio? Well, we did our Penn State preview show this week and mixed in some Eagles talk, of course. But next week, it's going to be pretty much all Eagles, and we'll have a couple of great guests to help us preview the Birds' 2017 season. Unfortunately, I can only announce one so far. The other one, the guy who's going to be joining us live, is not 100% definite yet, so... Uh, we're still in the negotiating stages, you might say. Uh, but I can Ooh. tell you this. We'll have a chat also with the voice of the Eagles the past 40 years about to start season 41, Merrill Reese. So there you go. Fantastic. What a, way, what a way to start the season. Steve Jones one week, Merrill Reese the next. Can't get any better than that. Great broadcasters. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right. Well, Mr. Chesco, we're getting close to the top of the hour. Do you have a parting shot tonight, sir? Yep. In case you missed it, Las Vegas odds makers on Tuesday set the over-under betting line for the 76ers at 42-and-a-half. I can admit now that I had been figuring the Sixers to be a 44- or 45-win team with all of the new, albeit unproven, talent. But that didn't mean I ran out and tried to find somebody to give my hard-earned money to to bet the over for me. Yes, there's a lot of talent, but... Will Joel Embiid play more than 31 games? Can Ben Simmons really play the point? How will Simmons and fellow number one overall pick Markel Fultz, a year apart, play together? How will free agent sharpshooter J.J. Redick fit in? That's a lot of question marks. Heck, you know what? Let's be optimistic for a change. We deserve some good fortune here. So, here on August 30th, I'm going to say it with confidence, and I don't care what Bill Furman says, the Sixers will be a playoff team next spring and will win at least 43 games. Now get my Vegas guy on the phone before I change my mind. 43 and 39. Okay, that's what you're yeah, saying, I'll 43 and 39. I'm taking uh, that. Yep. All right, we're, we'll talk about that as we get a little closer to the season and get you back on your medication. Yeah, your parting shot, Bill. All right. The Philadelphia sports scene lost a coaching legend today with the passing of 82-year-old Raleigh Massimino. Raleigh was still the head coach at Kaiser University, ending a coaching career that started as a high school assistant and lasted 58 years with 816 wins against only 462 losses and induction into the College Basketball Hall of Fame in 2013. Raleigh came to Philly as an assistant coach of the Penn Quakers in 1972 and 73 under Chuck Daly before becoming head coach and daddy mass of the Villanova Wildcats. In 19 seasons on the main line, Villanova won 355 games, made 10 trips to the NCAA dance, four times reaching the Elite Eight, and winning one memorable to this day national championship in 1985, beating Mighty Georgetown and Patrick Ewing. Massimino, to the dismay of some, put Villanova on the national basketball map where they've remained since he left. It's been a great run, Raleigh, that will never be forgotten. Rest in peace. Yes, sir. And, Chet, you know, we have about 30 seconds, so I just want to ask you, I had a note here to ask you this. It's only been less than two weeks, but wondering if that lovely Kate Beckinsale is out of your system yet. (laughs) No, of course not. I love Kate. And, matter of fact, I still have her in our little – Sound good thing. So let's just hear Kate Beckinsale talk about whatever but she my says. I don't husband's care. husband's dad is a judge in England, and he had to make a law about whether or not it was legal to nail your own testicles to a picnic table. <laughs> it was a long debate. It turned out it is illegal. It's illegal? Yes, because of the inconvenience to other people. <laughs> there you go. Kate Beckinsale. Well, you haven't forgot the lovely I, Kate Beckinsale, Chet. I hey, love listening that. to the lovely Kate. Thank you. We can't top that. We've reached the top of the hour. So let's thank our special guest, the voice of the Penn State Nittany Lions, Steve Jones, Fred Hugo, Irish Rover Station House, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoy the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, September 6th at 7 p.m., when the voice of the Eagles, Merle Reese, joins us. 
You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud. High hopes, Philadelphia and Penn State sports fans. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.